0: Welcome to the real life show, Living with a Chronic Illness. We are your hosts, Cassie and Chelsea. I'm Cassie, a single mom living with a chronic illness
1: who is extremely passionate about living a full and happy life. And I'm Chelsea. I have a passion for helping people to put themselves first and to be the best version of themselves each and every day. We came together to create this Spoonie Hub, an uplifting community that
0: offers resources, guidance, support, and offers you the space to be yourself, be heard, and feel understood. We hope that by providing tips and tricks from experts, we help
1: people with chronic conditions to thrive and live the lives they've dreamed of. This show is not only for those who live with a chronic illness or disability, but their friends, family, spouses, and just anyone else existing on the earth. Our goal is to normalize having a chronic condition by sharing real stories with real people and to show the world how relatable those everyday struggles can be. There's a little something in here for everyone.
0: And a special shout out to our community at the Spoonie Hub. Thanks to your contributions, we are able to provide flexible work opportunities for Spoonies, donate to our nonprofit to help provide wellness treatments for those who need it, and be able to transcribe our podcast to make it more accessible for all. To learn more, visit our show notes. Enjoy the show. Hi everybody! Welcome to another Making a Difference, Airy Change Maker episode. Today we have Valerie on our interview. Valerie is the founder and CEO of the Validation Project, an international organization that has impacted forty thousand students in one hundred and five countries to turn passion into positive action through social change programming, career field trips, and post-secondary resources around the world. Valerie's kindness curriculum is taught in 1,000 schools, and her Trailblazers campaign has provided more than 100 high school students with field trips to places like L'Oreal Paris, Education First, and Harvard University for mentoring sessions and career workshops. Valerie was recently named an Airy Changemaker. She is a L'Oreal Paris woman of worth, and her work has been featured in CNN, Oprah Magazine, Upworthy, and more. She is also a recipient of the National Jefferson Award for Public Service.
1: We talked a lot about mental health with Val, and it was just an amazing, inspiring conversation. Both Cassie and I got very, very excited while talking to her. So did Val. Uh, so you have to make sure you listen to it all the way through the end. It was a refreshing take on mental health, which is something we talk about a lot on this podcast, but coming from it from a little bit more of a community and even a younger younger part of the community standpoint. So it's very interesting, and we can't wait for you to listen to the entire episode. Hello everyone. We have another one of our Aerie Changemakers with us today. We have Val Weisler.
2: How are you doing, Val? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. How are you guys? We're
1: good. We have been loving being able to connect with as many Changemakers as we possibly can get on our schedule to be able to learn more about everyone and their projects because everyone's projects are so cool, but it's fun to get down into the, to the details of everything. So Val, can you tell our listeners and anyone else listening to this podcast a little bit about who you are, your story, and how you've gotten to where you are today?
2: Definitely. So I am 23 now, but my story started... Almost like ten years ago, about eight years ago, when I was fourteen, um, I was a pretty outgoing kid, always the first person to like raise my hand and make a joke and be the at the front of the room. But when I was fourteen, everything kind of shifted. Uh, a few days before my first day of freshman year of high school, my parents told me and my brothers that they were getting a divorce, and that was definitely a blessing looking back on it. But at fourteen, I was really just trying to focus on what I wanted to wear for the first day of school and suddenly my home life started to shift and I was also going to a new school where I only knew a handful of people. So I became really shy, not because I was normally a shy person, but because I told myself this narrative that if I didn't talk, then nothing else in my life could change. If I was as passive in my life as possible, then everything else I could count on being constant, even if my home life was all up in the air. Um, So I started to make a game with myself of how long I could go throughout the day without looking at anybody and without talking to anybody. And because of this, stereotypically, a group of girls, very like Disney Channel original movie started to bully me and would do it by putting notes in my locker so that when I'd get to my locker to get out my books for class, there were notes there telling me that if I wasn't going to talk, I shouldn't come to school and I shouldn't be here at all. And At this time, I was feeling pretty vulnerable, classic like 14-year-old self-esteem plus home changes. So I started to tell myself that what they were saying was true. And I really branded myself with this identity of if you're not going to talk, then you're not worth it. And then I would get to class, which was usually like academics was my safe space. And students would ask me, are the rumors true? Are you really mute? Do you really not have the ability to talk? Because it was pretty believable. If they asked me what my name was, by the time I'd stutter that my name was Val, they would already be on to the next part of their day. So for me, the first half of my freshman year was basically Groundhog Day of the same day over and over again. Not talking, not looking, getting bullied, going home, taking a nap, waking up, um, counting down the hours until I was back asleep. And I started to tell myself this story that I was the only person that was having a hard time, and that everyone else was like thriving in their freshman year. And I was just really at the brunt of it until one day I saw another student being bullied at his locker. And it was like this light turned on. And I realized that this issue wasn't just affecting other students in my school, but it was systemic and it was happening around the world. And so much, it was so much bigger than me and what I was Mm -hmm. going through. Um, and In this moment, my shyness and my fear of speaking really went away and the only thing I could think about was, what do I want someone to tell me right now? Because I felt like I was watching myself in the bird's eye view when the student was being bullied and The only thing I wanted someone to tell me was that I mattered, that it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter if I didn't talk and it didn't matter if I wasn't going to look at you or if I seemed really sad or it like was like once in a lifetime that I wore jeans and I combed my hair, but that I still was there, that they saw me, that I wasn't invisible. So I went up to the student who was getting bullied and I said, you matter. Um, And I told him that I was bullied too. And he started to cry and he told me that he had been bullied since kindergarten and that someone coming up to him really validated him and gave him this hope to be able to move forward and figure out what it could look like to you know fix this situation. And for me this was the first time in 6 months since I had started high school that I realized the power that words had positively. I knew all too well the way that they could be powerful negatively because I felt the impact on me every day when I was called those negative words in the hallway or the words that were written on the post-it notes but Seeing the impact that I could make with someone positively made me realize that there was like this secret sauce we could play around with when it came to bullying and self-esteem for students. And the word validation was what really stuck with me, this idea of confirming someone's worth um, getting that like roller coaster feeling in your stomach, because the thing you were insecure about is the thing that somebody else goes up to you and says, Hey, I love this about you. Um, so I went home from school that day and I Googled how to make a website. And I sat at my kitchen table for six hours and designed a very 14 year old website. So lots of neon pink, a lot of clip art where it's like very fuzzy. And you're like, is that a dog or a person? (laughs) Um, comic sans was definitely the font. (laughs) Um, and, uh, It was it didn't really matter, though, like what kind of website it was, because for the first time I had this like fire in my belly and I could feel like, oh, wow, like I have the power to do something about what I'm experiencing. Um, And at first, the validation project was really just like a lunchtime meetup at my school for me and other kids that were getting bullied. But as we started to do actions in our community where we were putting post-it notes with positive messages on lockers and we were going into classrooms and talking about what it means to not just tolerate each other, but to go the step up and collaborate together to fix the issues that we're seeing. It got picked up by the local news and I started getting emails, not just from students in my school about being bullied, but from students in other districts and soon other states and countries about whatever it was that they were experiencing that was hard. Being the only student of color in their classroom, uh, being the new kid in their classroom, being in the foster care system and switching schools every six months, not liking how they looked in the mirror, um, navigating fat phobia in their school system. So Uh, The validation project shifted from just focusing on bullying to being able to kind of look at like, what does it look like to provide my generation with the financial and supportive resources, whether that's mentorship or funding, to be able to take whatever it is that they're experiencing and use what they love to solve that issue at the greater level. Um, So really like supporting students to be able to, if they love to sing, having a open mic night at their school about mental health. And if they love to play sports, what does it look like to Um, make their next basketball game a fundraiser so that the school that might not have the resources to have a steady sports program is also getting to support those passions of their students. Um, So basically, the Validation Project became this organization of turning like passion into positive action. Um, And it was founded eight years ago. And now we celebrate our eight year anniversary in January 2021. And it's turned into a international youth empowerment organization where we have impacted 40,000 K through 12 students with our programs and our social justice curriculum, which teaches educators how to create a supportive environment for students to be able to look at the issues in their community and see what it looks like to educate themselves on them, learn about them and solve them as taught in a thousand schools around the world.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. We talk a lot about just positive thoughts, positive mindset, you get to kind of, you always get to choose how you're gonna look at a situation that's happening to you. And so the fact that you are kind of doing something similar of taking positive things, things that are good in the world and using that to combat those not so good experiences the negative things, I think that's so awesome and so beautiful Mm -hmm. and so inspiring and I love it.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's
1: we definitely also talk about a lot of
0: acceptance And that seems like a huge theme of your whole project and what you're encouraging others is accepting themselves and then encouraging others to just see things like Chelsea said, see things differently and just more acceptance as a whole. Um, It's incredible how you were kind of like, I guess, yeah, like just triggered with a fire under your ass of like, (laughs) this is what I'm going to do. I've had enough. And it's really beautiful. I think that you know, although you had been living that life yourself of, you know, like you said, like counting out, counting down the hours till bed, as soon as you saw it happening to someone else, then you're like, um, no, that is not okay. And, you know, sometimes there's this whole like treat others like you want to be treated, but there seems to be a common theme now that it needs to be like treat yourself the way you want others to be treated or right. treat yourself the way you treat others because people don't they're not kind to themselves. You know, they don't give themselves that like self-love. And so that was kind of a moment there where you were like, you know, not going to allow it for someone yeah. else and then seeing that finally made you shift and be like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, this isn't okay. And then treat yourself better too um while making a giant difference. I think that's really cool. Chelsea and I are so about like passion. Um, And we really love hearing about other people's passion. And so you clearly have done so much with this. And I have a 12 and a half year old and he was bullied in first and second grade. And it was shocking. I mean, you know, and then there was a little girl down the street who was in the same grade as him. And her mom had told me that she was like not eating dinner and stuff because the Mm -hmm. other girls were calling her fat in like, second to fourth grade. And I just was like, so shocked that that was a thing going on in the world. Um, But, you know, it was obviously attention, uh, attention needed to be brought to it. And I wouldn't have believed or not, not, not not believed, but I just, they're so young, you know? So um, I think it's incredible that you're making a difference in the world of bullying. It, it, it needs to be sorted. It needs help. It needs love and support.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And, um, what you mentioned about your, um, your son and the girl down the street is really interesting. And I think it's like for my mom, uh, she had some form of the same like experience that she didn't know I was being bullied. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed of the fact that this was happening to me that I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my best friend. I didn't tell my family. My mom figured like, oh, Val is sad because, our home life just shifted. Um, That's why Val's depressed. Um, But in reality, this was happening to me every day. And it got to the point where I was so anxious about walking down the school hallway that I started having these like insane stomach aches and like suddenly was coming, was cutting out like dairy and bread Mm -hmm. and um, going to all these doctors and suffered from what is called in the education system, chronic absenteeism. And it's when a student is navigating physical or emotional pain at such a depth that they are absent more days than they are present. And if you look at my first first year of high school, my GPA was a (laughs) 1.5 because I was simply not at school. I, when I could be, when I could convince my mom to let me stay home because I didn't feel well, I wasn't at school. Um, And then when I was there, I was so alert of what's going on behind me. What is someone saying about me? Oh God, there's only four more minutes of this class. And then I have to walk to my locker and those girls are going to follow me. I have to go to the bathroom, but I can't because what if they're in the bathroom that, um, you know, your grades start to suffer too. And (laughs) the, The issue of bullying, no matter where it's happening, whether it's on Instagram, cyberbullying, or it's at recess or at the lunch table, it domino affects every other part of a student's life. Because if they can't feel safe and supported in the school system, even if that's on Zoom now, they're not going to be able to realize that they have a passion for history or (laughs) that math God bless them really gets them excited um so it's it's really interesting to take a look at and that's what the validation project kind of tries to focus on is a lot of um the government mandated anti-bullying curriculum in the united states focuses on this idea of tolerance and preaching to students we have to tolerate each other and when i was getting bullied it wasn't like my school didn't have this curriculum they taught it we had assemblies about tolerance but students would then go out and they would bully people. So the validation project tries to look at it from this bird's eye view of, okay, what's the step above tolerance? It's collaboration. And Mm -hmm. if a student is bullying someone else, it's not because they're just doing it because they're like, why not? I'm bored. They're doing it. Like you said, Cassie, because they feel small in another part of their life. And if we can kind of provide them all with a project where we're like, Hey, You see that Mm -hmm. issue, you know, your, your community is riddled with homelessness. You might not be seeing it, but it's there. What does it look like to combat that issue or raise awareness of it with art? And suddenly these students are seeing that even at this age where you're usually taught you can't make a difference, you have to wait till you graduate, whatever it is that they can, and then they don't feel the need to hurt other people because they're seeing that their words and their actions and their general existence can have a power that can make a positive impact.
1: That's, that's incredible. <laughs> I, I love Val that you've taken it, it, it is a bird's eye view. It is a 360 view because you're right. When bullies bully, it's generally not because they're just mean at heart. I mean, maybe some people are, but most of them is they have an issue within their own life, within themselves, mm-hmm. that they don't know how to deal with. And so they're unleashing that that's that struggle on others. And right. so I love that you're trying to not only help the people that are being bullied themselves, but also stopping the bullying from happening in the first place. One thing that kind of came to mind is both of you mentioned, like Cassie, you said, like you didn't know that you're was being bullied in value. So you didn't share with your parents. Right. I was fortunate to not really be bullied too much growing up. I was like in the middle of the crowd. So I like blended in enough where like people knew me, but they didn't say too many things to me. Right, right. And so my question is, do you have any advice of how we can really support others not knowing what they're going through, not knowing what they're doing in their life. Um, because a lot of people don't come out and share the things that are Mm -hmm. bothering them. Do you have advice for people? Since this is something that you do every single day, I'd love to hear your insight.
2: Yeah. Um, my biggest thing that I've learned is not assuming. Um, so like it's so easy, it's it's internally programmed in our brains to mm. look at someone and look at how, especially on social media and right now with the pandemic, most of the interpretation we're getting of people is from what they're actively choosing to share. Um, we're not getting their normal body language or their like sigh when you're getting a drink mm-hmm. with them at a bar or you're getting ice cream with them or whatever that is. Um, not assuming what their life is looking like, uh, because when we assume it's really easy to fill in the gaps with our own story, uh, whether that's negatively or positively. And then I think we were talking about this a little bit before, like this shifting of like, treat yourself how others you want to treat others um advice that i normally try to give myself when i hear myself doing like self-hate talk is is this how i would want to talk to my best friend like would mm-hmm. i ever say the things i'm saying to myself to someone that i care about in my corner and the answer is always no um and then off of that like what kind of space would i want to cultivate for myself, what kind of space do I feel safe in that I can share? That space is usually a place where someone is proactively asking me questions, where they are meeting what I share with kindness, where they're saying off the bat, like what you say here, like stays in this room with me. Like there's absolutely no judgment with whatever you share. So I think really not assuming and kind of like proactively cultivating a supportive space. You never know the moment that someone is going to choose. And they usually don't when they're going to choose like, okay, now's the time where I'm going to tell you that I'm actually having a really, really hard time. But if Mm -hmm. you can work on having an environment of open communication and of general check-ins it's likely that that person is more ready to open up and Mm -hmm. off of that, like really digging deeper than the, how are you? Um, a lot of my friends joke that like we ask each other, how are you and how are you really? And Mm -hmm. like kind of pushing yourself to be real with your people is going to make them feel more comfortable sharing with you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. That's so funny. Chelsea and I did a Well, I don't know if we did a whole podcast on it now, but we did a whole in-person support group about answering the question. How are you Mm -hmm. and how to answer it? Because in the chronic illness world, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, do I share how I really am right, or not? And, um, so we did like a whole workshop on navigating what you can say, what decisions lead into what you decide to say, you know, et cetera. Um, but the collaboration, I mean, is amazing. And just the safe space and expression, you know, um, My son, so like I said, he'll he'll be 13 this summer and he was in a piano lesson and he was this was just getting into preteenness. I was seeing a shift from like Mm -hmm. age nine, 10, you know, that I was like, wait, what? And his piano teacher, who's also his uncle, was like, you know, it's okay to
1: emote. You can you can emote, you can have emotions,
0: (laughs) you know. And the But also
1: little boys are taught to not have emotions.
0: Right. Which is a whole other
1: issue that we don't have to go into right now.
0: Yes. But yes. (laughs) And it was like you know, kind of like the way he put it, like you can, you can emote, you know, it's kind right. of funny. And so my right. son like laughed and then he kind of like shared his emotions a little bit and expressed himself. And there definitely is a huge part missing in a lot of the school system. And especially right. like you said, like society clicks age generation of expression Um, and finding like, I love that you are trying to create collaboration, like you said, to make a change and encourage finding passions. I mean, that's something that I definitely look at with generations in the school system and the comparison life that these generations are having to live that we didn't have to live. Like I'm I'm 32, Chelsea, 28, 27, right? 27. Okay. I think,
1: I don't know. What, what is time? Yes. <laughs> fair.
0: What so is these generations, like just after us have a whole life of comparison with Mm -hmm. social media, with YouTube, with the internet, with like the whole world at their fingertips that we just didn't really have to deal with. Our comparison was like magazines on Vogue. If you went to Barnes and Noble after school, you know, and it, it, like, I remember feeling those feelings of comparison then, but it's nothing compared to what, kids nowadays have to do. And my son and I have had those conversations, like when, you know, if he is feeling insecure or finding himself or finding interests, it's the interests and the passions, like you're talking about, um, that if you are so worried about your peers and what you're dealing with on an emotional level at home or at school, how are you going to find out that, like you said, if you have a love for history or drama, or, you know, it's, it's a blessing for those who do have a creative outlet, you know, with music or art or something that they can express themselves in their creativity and have that kind of passion, which again is why I'm like, it's so amazing that you were just like, I'm going to make this website. And you just had a fire burning within you to do it. That's just a blessing that I know I want these generations and everybody, actually all, all humans on earth to find that kind of like fire that lights them up and propels them to do things. Um, So I think that's just freaking incredible what you're creating. And you obviously have such a deep understanding of the impact of bullying um, in with, with the ripple effects. Like that's definitely something when my son did tell me what was going on. um, I definitely thought of those ripple effects, like, okay, I don't want this to make him feel like he doesn't have power over any situation. Right. I don't want this to make him feel like he can't speak his mind or speak up. And there has been definitely situations where, um, I don't know, I've had to really try to figure out how to like encourage that. And with uh, one of my really, my best friends, her daughter's in high school. She's a junior now, but she had almost the same thing. Like you're talking about with her anxiety um, showing itself in really physical symptoms and missing school. Like she'd be literally throwing up, you know, and couldn't go to school. She was so sick and, um, it, was figured out that it was the anxiety that was Mm -hmm. leading everything. And so now it's been a process of like, well, where's that anxiety coming from? And uh, it's starting to seem like now she's had a part-time job with the pandemic. She's been able to do that because of the remote schooling, that same thing. She's found more of a passion and something she feels happy with and excited for um, that. A lot of those symptoms and feelings have been going away. So it's a very real thing. And, um it needs to be talked about more it needs less judgment it needs more support and i hope that like our you know governments and school systems and everything will i don't know i really want your your validation project to just like take over everywhere <laughs> that's the dream <laughs>
2: yeah
0: that's the dream it's no, just I, so I, incredible
2: thank you and like i totally agree with what you're saying and i feel like there's so much stigmatization of mental health especially um, it's, it's everywhere, but especially for younger people that are still mm-hmm. in the traditional school system of K through 12, we're taught that there's very specific times and places to talk about your feelings. And in kindergarten, you're taught of what all the feelings are and how you talk about them. But as we move forward into elementary school and middle school and high school, you're taught to be a little bit more silent and it's a lot less OK or accepted for you to say like, I'm feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really Mm -hmm. depressed today. Um, And then that stigmatization causes when someone is having those physical symptoms of anxiety or depression or anger, uh, no one is thinking that that could be the reason. We're Uh automatically thinking like, for me, it took a year for myself and for my family to realize oh, the reason that I can't eat all these foods and they cause me anxiety and stomach aches and I've been to all these doctors is just because I don't feel safe in the place where I'm spending my the most amount of my time on a daily basis. Um, and like starting the conversation about that is crucial because it's if we teach kindergartners or middle schoolers now that talking about your feelings and mental health and being welcoming when someone talks about theirs is cool. We can literally yeah. shift the mental health landscape for generations to come. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. It's the normalizing it, which is what Chelsea and I
2: are also super yes. passionate oh, about. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I know like I have anxiety. I have moments of being very anxious myself. And I know, especially over the past year with the pandemic, my anxiety for various reasons skyrocketed some mm-hmm. days. And so it was interesting. I, because I'm very open and upfront about how I feel, I have no problem telling someone I'm not going to do whatever it is you want me to do because I'm anxious as shit. And that's just, that's not what I'm capable of doing right now. But I have been around people that like, they either haven't wanted me to express myself that way. They didn't want that honesty or they didn't think it was like the right reason. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to kind of see like, like, for example, my, um, fiance's family has a lake house. And I didn't want to go to the lake because I was very much like, I want to stay in my bubble because my bubble feels really safe. And I want to stay at home. And that's what I need. And like, there's been times where it's like, well, is that really a good enough, like quote unquote, good enough reason to not like go to the lake and spend time with family. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I think it is. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't really care if you don't. But, and so it's, it is interesting that I think there's a lot of work being done to decrease the stigma on mental health and support people's individual experiences, but there's still a long, a long way to go
2: Totally, overall. Yeah, yeah. And I think you bring up such an interesting point with the pandemic it's added for, for kids, it's added this new level of isolation, which yeah. offers both pros and cons of like, There's the isolation where you don't have that normal in-person interaction with your friends and with a teacher, but also like you brought up, Cassie, it can offer like, whoa, more of like a slow life of like, I can do my classes and then I can also do this job or go make lunch or take a walk. And I'm not in school for eight hours a day, Um, but also for mental health and transparency and communication, it adds this layer with relationships of like, here's my protocols, these are your protocols like where do we fit in with each other mm-hmm. and needing to be a lot more transparent about where you sit and I've definitely felt that like what you're bringing up too yeah. of, um, if someone's like inviting you to do something and you don't feel comfy with that what does it look like to navigate that and to trust your instincts and your anxiety and your gut when a lot of people are going to come at you with judgment um, mm-hmm. And I feel like right now, especially with the vaccine rollout and like looking ahead towards a post vaccinated world, we're in this really interesting in between time where it's kind of like you have like one hand in, one hand out, hokey pokey style of like <laughs> yeah. there's some things that I'm like, oh, I can like do this thing. Um, this is OK. This is what the you know CDC is saying is OK. But then also like navigating what it looks like to still recognize that like your mental health as always is valid. And if there are Mm -hmm. things that are safe, but your anxiety is telling you, you know what, this doesn't feel good for me. This doesn't spark joy for me that that's valid enough of a reason to not do it. Um, And it's interesting to see and to think about like what that transparency and communication looks like for kids to be able to trust their own gut. And this is really the first time that they're having to think at such a deep level of like, whoa okay so this is what these people are saying but this is what i'm hearing and how am i feeling and that's one of the reasons teaching kids to communicate their feelings is so important because Mm -hmm. pandemic or not there's going to be situations where the most important thing they could do is trust their gut and if we don't teach them that their gut is the best compass morally then they're not going to know what to do in that situation where they really need to rely on that
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm literally going to make my son listen to this episode. Um, It's so good. And what I love about what you're saying with transparency and like creating that safe space and, um, just being more clear, you know, with how you feel like Chelsea saying, I don't want to go to the lake right now. That's not feeling safe for me. Um, Brene Brown always talks about, uh, being clear is kind Mm -hmm. And that's been like my thing that I keep saying to my son. I'm like, clear is kind. And let me be clear with you, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And I'm like, this is kind of like how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? You know, go ahead and be clear. Um, and I have loved that because it's sort of like, you know, this like dancing around, like, I kind of don't want to do this, but I sort of feel like I need to, and, you know, I'm anxious or whatever that ends up just feeling so crappy for like everybody involved. And so that transparency, like you're saying that clear is kind and that, um, safe space. Like, I love that. I mean, even just yesterday I had him come in and I was like, um, I was like, now this is not, I'm prefacing this. This is not a lecture. Cause this is a topic I've lectured about before. I was like, preface, not a lecture. And he's just like, sigh, you know, body yeah. language. Ugh. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want it to be. I was like, I really want to have a conversation. I really want to hear your feelings. I really want to know where your brain is at. Cause I know where my feelings are. Right. But I, it, part of those feelings are because I'm not getting your whole picture, your whole feelings. Please tell me about this, you know? Right. And it. Oh my God! It clears kind, you know. He was able to like say how he felt. It was super safe. I had a deeper understanding. It was just, it was really nice. Um, and so I, I, I think that's amazing. And I can only imagine how much more challenging that is in like a peer relationship right, situ- right. situation. You know, um, kids that age or high schoolers when there are so many factors going into play: hormones, society Mm self-image outward image all the things to get people to open up and you know say how they feel or be able to talk about having an issue with anxiety or mental health I mean that's just got to be like so much more difficult you know than having a safe space with a parent and it was even challenging for both of us to get to that point of expression emoting
2: you know yeah (laughs) so yeah it's um yeah, it's it's such an important skill. And like for me, I grew up in a home where I was taught to communicate, especially with my peers were my brothers. And mm-hmm. my mom, when we would come to her and we'd be like, you know, this my brother did this, like, oh my god. She would be like, Okay, figure it out. Go figure it out uh-huh. with each other. And then we'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. but then we'd like learn to like sit across from each other and be like, This really upset me. And my brother would be like, Well. I'm sorry. And like, we we're like five, but uh, and it was probably like, you know, you threw me in the mud or whatever, but yeah. Um, yeah. those skills like translated to now where like communication is like my biggest love language. Like if there's oh. a hard thing that we have to talk about, like the only thing I care about is that we actually talk about it. Um, and I think uh, what you're saying is so interesting too, of like that should be something that's taught in schools. And there's a lot of teachers and schools that are getting the resources to be able to have those conversations. But there's also a lot of um, society and the education systems like hierarchies and all that, that aren't leaving room for us to talk about it. And it's it's important because it's a Mm -hmm. skill that is going to teach, it teaches kids that they have agency especially in the pandemic, it teaches them that they're allowed to speak up when they're not comfortable, Mm -hmm. that they, you know, consent is important socially, academically, whatever space they're in and, um, teaching them what it looks like, what you're explaining with your son to have a check-in conversation of like, here are my feelings. What are yours is the most important thing because, um, you know, the, the first mirror that a kid learns about is their, home life. It's its their, you know, what their parents or their guardians or whatever family looks like is setting up for them. And that's giving them the tools to go to their peers and to know that they are valid and that they have the validity in expressing their emotions. Um, and hopefully, as we move forward into the future, creating a future where saying, I'm feeling anxious today, or, you know, I don't want to go to the lake house, that doesn't bring me joy, is something that's as accepted as, I have a fever and I can't Mm -hmm. do this thing. And that's really like the, you know, the spectrum that we want to reach is just like, this shouldn't be stigmatized. And when we teach young people that they have agency and that their words and their feelings matter, it's not just impacting them, which is obviously important, but it's also impacting our future. Because if we teach them that their feelings matter, then they're going to be able to feel like when they walk into the spaces where they can think and they can put their words and their passions into action, they'll have the room in their brain and their heart to be able to do that because they're not so anxious and feeling like I can't share this thing. They're going to walk into school and be like, oh, I feel safe here. And that gives me the allowance to realize that I love what I'm learning in science Mm -hmm. class or that, you know, this book is like, I can't put it down. This is exciting to me. And that's going to impact the people that are like leading our world in mm-hmm. the future too.
0: Mm-hmm. This is so exciting what you're doing.
2: <laughs> you guys are getting and- me so jazzed. I'm like, <laughs> well,
0: like I said, in the beginning, we love, we love someone with some passion and really quick Chelsea, cause you're probably going to ask a really good question. I just wanted to say, um, that Along with like what you're doing, like you said, how they should be teaching this stuff in school. Uh, We had a conversation on one of our episodes. I can't even remember which one it was now, but it was on those same lines of there's all this shame around like counseling or therapy that people are Mm -hmm. embarrassed and won't say they're going to counseling or therapy. Literally, they're just learning some life tools of coping. That we weren't taught in school and maybe you were lucky enough to have parents that did teach you some of that stuff, but the brain changes the body, the emotions, everything we grow and we change and we need someone to help offer up those tools, you know, for us to use. And it's when I said it like that, someone kind of wrote back to and was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's true, (laughs) you know. Okay, Chelsea, I just wanted to throw that in because it fit.
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. it did. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So I'm curious, since you do work with kind of K through 12 students, does do you do more programming with like older high school age students? Or is there a good amount of programming that goes towards the younger students that are in elementary school? Cause right. I know I'm just I'm curious because b- the skills are important for both ages. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah,
2: I, I'm just curious to see how that ends up being distributed. Yeah, so it's most, our majority in terms of like the exact numbers, um, we work more with middle and high school students than we do with elementary and preschool, but we do do programs with elementary and preschool. Um, For example, we did a preschool program last year where It was an in-person event and we taught we explained what activism and social justice is to four-year-olds and what does it mean to be an activist and like you could see the wheels turning in their head of like we started at the t of like this is kindness what does kindness mean okay what does it mean when you see something that bothers you in your community and you do something about it that means that you're an activist and this is what it looks like to do activism um so with the preschoolers we we talk about sharing your feelings and talk about that and we also try to get their wheels turning of like keep your eyes open for issues that you see what bothers you in your community and like what do you think could be done about it and people are always surprised to see that like a preschooler might still be learning how to use the potty but like they are ready to be a change maker in their school or in their community and with middle school and high schoolers. Um, it's a lot of navigation of getting past the wall of self-doubt that they've built up from you know pressure of everyone else uh, to be able to open up about the conversations that we want to talk about. And people are always surprised to find out that like my favorite group to work with is like a 13 or 14 year old that probably is looking at me at first and is like, I roll looking at my outfit. Like, I'm like, that is my birthday present. Like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Um, And I think it's because like I was 14 and when all this started Mm -hmm. and like, I know the feeling and I know that that's like a large part of the turning point of could, you know, do you get brand, a a lot of teenagers and tweens get branded as apathetic um, and not caring about anything, but it's truly the opposite. It's just that like, as, kids get older, they're told this story of like teenagers don't care. Teenagers are lazy. And in reality, it's like, when you're a young person and you're told your whole life that you have to wait until you achieve a specific degree until you reach a a specific age that you essentially don't matter. And you just have to like go through the school system. You're not going to be looking at the world with the eyes of someone who thinks that they have the skills to solve the issues that they care about. Um, So what we try to do with every age we work with but especially with the um, age that is navigating the most self-esteem issues which is middle school and high school is really just making them realize that they matter. And um, a lot of what we do is called empowerment workshops. And when it was in person, what we would do is we'd go to a school, I'd explain my story, and then we'd split up the students according to what their interests are. And we'd hand them a marker and we'd ask them, okay, we know that you're passionate about art, about sports, about music. What issue makes you angry? What are you seeing on the news that makes you frustrated? What do you see... In your town, when you're walking around, that makes you upset. What's missing? What's there that you wish wasn't? Um, And then suddenly you have these students that are using soccer to raise awareness of the climate change issues in their community, or they're using Art to raise awareness of the racism in their community. Um, So really being able to focus on uh, the first, the biggest issue is just self-esteem. I always say like, it's not like we're teaching them how to play soccer or teaching them how to paint or anything like that. All we're showing them is that whatever power they had in them all along, they could access at any point. Mm -hmm. They just need that validation of someone to say like, your age is actually an asset. I know that you've probably been asked your whole life, what do you want to do when you grow up? Let's forget about that. What do you want to do now? Because you have every power inside of you to do that thing and to go against the grain. We're here to help you figure out what that looks like.
1: Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I feel so excited. (laughs) I feel so excited too. (laughs) Yeah. I know we have to wrap up. So I have one final question for you. Well, I guess two, because I'm going to ask you. Where we can find you, but yeah. I want to know, Val, how does it feel to go from this this project, this this change, being inspired by the fact that like you didn't feel comfortable talking, you decided to not talk, to now be able to use that story and be able to talk about it and share about it. How does that feel to have that complete like one eighty flip around and be able to use your voice to change change the world? How does that feel?
2: it feels wild. I, I, it's crazy. We just celebrated our eighth anniversary and I feel both very far and so close to my 14 year old version of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that if I tapped her on the shoulder when she was designing that neon website and was like, Hey, this is going to become like your life's work. This is going to become a global movement. She probably would have been too afraid to start it. Um, but for me, looking back on it now, like I I am absolutely confident that the validation project saved my life, whether that's physically or emotionally being able to wake up every day and genuinely feel excited to see what the next 24 hours holds. Uh, and I feel grateful that I get to work. My job is to get to work with students every day and be able mm-hmm. to see what it is that their issues and their passions in the world and provide the resources to Hopefully, open up their life and show them that they can be an activist in their community uh, is something that, like, every day still shocks me that I get to do.
1: That's amazing.
2: It's so amazing. We've obviously
1: loved talking to you because we're so Mm -hmm. excited about everything you're sharing. Where can people find you on the internet if they're wanting to connect with you in the Validation Project and just learn more?
2: Yeah. So, we are on Facebook if you search the Validation Project. Instagram, The Validation Project. If you want to find me on Instagram, my Instagram is a big space where I am very transparent about mental health and burnout and what it looks like to lead an organization. And my Instagram is valiswiser, V-A-L-I-S-W-I-S-E-R. Uh, and our organization's website is thevalidationproject.org. And that has a place where if you're interested in whether you're a student, a community member, a school leader um, interested in working with us, you can contact us on our website uh, to be able to see what it looks like to partner together. Oh, so Yay. cool. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you. This was the best way to start my afternoon. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and, uh, well, we're <laughs> so glad.
1: We're so glad that we were able to connect with you. We were able Mm -hmm. to hear more about your story and your project. This has been so much fun. Val. thank you so much for the change you're making in the world and for talking with us. It's been wonderful.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you love this podcast and want to show your support, please leave a review, share the podcast with others, or join us in the Spoonie Hub.
1: If you'd like to connect with Cassie and I, you can find us on Instagram at The Real Spoonies Unite. Or on our website, mywellnesshub.co, where you can find all sorts of resources and you can find the Spoonie Hub. Talk to you soon.